run Rommel's looking like he's got one more good run Zip's a little shaky But his heart is still true Oh how that dog loves hunting with me and you Sporting dog adventures run Everything you need is here under the sun Sporting Dog Adventures podcast is proudly brought to you by Soggy Acres Retrievers. My name is Jeff Fuller. I've been breeding dogs for over 20 years and it is my passion. We love putting best friends in people's homes and selling them that dream. That dream of riding the truck next to you, running around the field on a hunt, or just being a best friend at your house. If you're looking for a high-quality Labrador Retriever puppy, please check our website out as www.soggyacres.com or you can call me at 262-215-9683 or email me sportingdogtv at gmail.com. Remember, whether it's yellow, black, or chocolate, everyone deserves a Soggy Dog. Here at the Sporting Dog Adventures podcast, we are all about the dogs. As our listeners, we want to thank you all for listening. We want to ask you a favor. Please give us a five-star rating. Give us a thumbs up. Share us with your friends. If you can support us financially, go to Anchor Support and support us there. We are only as strong as our fans and your help that you give us where we are going to spread our love for dogs and dogs in the field. Please share it to your friends and family. Please help us grow. Thank you again so much for listening to us. God bless. Welcome to the Sporting Dog Adventures podcast. I am your hapless host, Jeff Fuller, and I'm here with my beautiful wife, Kate. He's hapless, all right. That I am. And Kate is going to fill in because we had someone we were going to do an interview with and they didn't show, but we'd rather have Kate on the show, I believe. So we decided we would talk about spay or neuter of your dog. And there's like a lot of different and new information that's coming out and a lot of different opinions. And so we thought we'd just shed some light on what our veterinarian has shared with us and what our experience with pets has been with both pets that are, you know, intact males versus, you know, fixed and as well as the females, you know, fixed versus not. And honestly, what our opinion is, I mean, everything is, there's, there's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of very strong opinions on it. And I've watched this over the last couple of years grow. And it's kind of interesting because we hit the point where we looked at it and we were like, yeah, we'll board dogs if they're intact because we run a breeding operation. And we actually changed how we are doing our dog boarding now. We, um, you know, we have dogs obviously that are intact ourselves, you know, intact males. We have females, obviously we breed. So, you know, of course we boarded them. And then, um, Jeff had some different experiences with some of the um, males that we've had intact. We've boarded recently. And so we kind of rethought our, our policy on that. And when it comes down to it, if you have females in season, and we had three that were in this kennel over in season, we don't put the girls that are in season out with the, out with the boys, but obviously they can smell that in the kennel. And we had two boarding dogs come in, come in that were both intact. So I'm thinking, not a big deal. First one came in, seemed okay. He just kept running to that room all the time. Second one came in. The minute he got into the kennel, he peed in all four corners 
of the actual kennel in the building with the owner standing there and the owner apologizing. And at that point, it was like, I think I need to rethink this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just to be, you know, these females were enclosed. They were not accessible to the males. It doesn't matter. Research has proven that males can smell a female in heat for what is it, a couple miles or something like that. It's some crazy range. So just because they were enclosed separately doesn't mean that nature wasn't kicking in with these males and they weren't extremely interested in marking their territory and speaking up for which female they wanted, so to speak. And that happened the next day, put the dogs out. Of course, they're in two separate areas. The two boy dogs that were both intact decided that they would start fussing with each other and barking like they were going to fight. So I had to run out there, break them up, couldn't have them together the rest of the week. And it ultimately came down to, you know, it's not the dog's fault. They are dogs. They are intact. And their job is to continue generations with their own offspring. So they're just trying to basically be dogs, but it's still not fair to them either. So we actually went to the point where now we are no longer importing intact males. Uh, it's hard enough with their own boys being here and dealing with them that now we have that rule in place. We'll still take intact females, but we, we pretty much told everyone that's on our calendar if they had something that was held for them for boarding, we're going to honor that. So we still have a dog or two that will come through. But as far as any other intact males, if they're younger than a year, that's fine. But if they're older than a year, we're just not going to take them. And like Jeff said, it's, we're not trying to be mean. It's, it's just, it's too difficult. We don't want the fight club outdoors. We don't want the urine scented kennel indoors. And it's not the dog's fault. They're just doing what comes naturally to them. You know, they're trying to mark their territory. They're trying to speak up for their female of choice. It's just what they do. And it's not even fair for us to be, you know, angry at them or something like that. So we're not, we're just going to pretty much avoid the issue. And by not having the intact males here, we avoid the whole problem. A urine scented fight club. Is <laughs> right? What I described the kennel when oh. I came back shaking my head. It is. It's not good. No, it's not good. They're being animals. There's nothing you can do about it. The interesting thing is I was getting calls because people that had intact dogs could not find anywhere to board them. I feel bad for those folks. Obviously, we have intact dogs. But at the same time, if it is creating far more work or putting you in a position where a dog could get a wild hair up their butt and injure someone, you don't want to have that. As far as dogs getting bred, we had that, had that set up and have had that set up. We've never had a problem with it because we keep them separate. But it just became too much to manage when we had intact girls and intact boys in the same kennel when they weren't to be bred. And I think actually, like you said, we were getting a lot of calls for people looking or inquiring to find boarding for their intact male dogs. I think we were late to the dance. I think a lot of people already had made that call well before we did. Well, part of it's political. Part of it is the, you should get your dogs fixed. And there's a big battle out there on getting dogs fixed. There's also the wives tales where people say that if you get your dog fixed, that they won't hunt better. The funny thing is they only say that for males as opposed to females. So I guess if you take a female's sexual organs, they still hunt fine, but a male does, does not. It is out there. It is something 
we didn't want to weigh into because honestly, it's your dog. So do what you want with it. But at the same time, we're in the position now where the best thing for us in our kennel moving forward is if they're over a year old, they need to be fixed or we can't take them. And I don't have any politically based opinion. I only have the opinion of the preference to fix them based on other things like health. Um, I know you've had females where they were bred and then, you know, we wanted to get them fixed right away and they can develop health issues with that part of their body. They can get a uterine infection, which if they get a uterine infection, it's called a pyo. Um, They pretty much that that's the death sentence if it would burst. So you have to get them into surgery right away. Boys can get different health issues from uh, prostate infections that Rommel had. We actually had to fix Rommel because he kept getting prostate infections to other things. I'm sure there's probably a positive as far as latter uh, latter uh, life health if they do have their sexual organs. I'm sure that's not talked about. I know the big thing that's been talked about is that we need to not fix dogs. I've seen as long as three years because they need to have their organs to produce hormones so that they can properly develop. And I, I talked to a vet the other day about it. When you get a dog that's about a year old or close to a year old, you're talking about a dog that is 95% structurally created ready. They're structurally sound. And that is why we do preliminary uh, hip x-rays at any time after 12 months, between 12 months and 24 months, if you want to check. You're looking at, they're, they're pushing about 95% already structurally sound. And the point has always been you should wait, or the point in the last few years has been you should wait because you want to make sure that they are, they, they are structurally sound and not fix them until three years old because you have joint issues and a lot of it has been pushed on with knee injuries. And I have my own opinion on that with a lot of the knee injuries and joint issues being an environmental problem because of our dog's weight. Yeah, we saw a statistic the other day that said American dogs, about 80% of them are currently overweight. So it's just something to consider. Is it really related to their sex organs or is it related to their physical health due to their weight? And it could, it, it, it likely is both. I would say there is a, that you could argue there's a genetic component and I know they're doing studies on it, but at the same time, if you ask a vet on a dog that has a knee injury, how many of those dogs are overweight, they will say about 90%. Mm-hmm. Uh, I bet I've heard anywhere from 80 to 90%. So how can we look at genetics when that is purely environmental? you are putting so much weight on dogs. And again, the problem that we've talked about here is that we humanize the weight. Memphis, our dog is about 49 to 50 pounds. If she is five pounds overweight, we humanize it. Well, she's only five pounds overweight. No, she's 10% overweight. If she's 10 pounds overweight, we'd still say, well, it's only 10 pounds. No, she's 20% overweight. We hear from so many people about their big 120 pound dog. Folks, just because they're wide does not mean they're muscular. Dogs can only carry so much weight in their joints. If you can't see their last rib and you can't feel the ribs, your dog is overweight and likely obese. There's a reason that the the clubs wrote the breed standards to be what they are. And the breed standard has the the weight range in there. It's because that weight weight range was developed with their joints and things in mind. The, The joint doesn't change just because your dog has a different weight on it that joint still not designed to sustain more pounds. Just like with people. I always, when I talk to people, if they, if their dog is overweight or when we send puppies home, 
it's like I use Memphis as a, as a reason or as as a uh, uh, descriptor and say, you know, she's 20 percent overweight. That's like me having 40 pounds extra on me. Most of these dogs are 40 to 50 percent overweight. That's like doubling our weight. I mean, that's just that is a huge amount, not doubling, but 50% would be a hundred pounds. Me at 300 pounds would not be healthy. And now you're going to ask me to run around the yard, which my wife would. <laughs> or do training exercises or whatever it is. So, um, so yeah, there's definitely the whole weight issue to be considered. Another thing for myself personally is just the convenience, the, the mess with a female, if you don't have it fixed, um, the males, oh my gosh, we live in Wisconsin. How annoying is it? And you take them out when it's like 10 degrees below zero and they want to put a teaspoon of pee on every tree they see. They have to oh, mark everything. They do so not, awful. They do not void their bladder. They put a little here, a little there. Uh, and then, especially as they got older, I still remember Pickett after he was about 10, he would be outside for 20 minutes and then have an accident in the house an hour later when he was sleeping. And he was just out. It was, yeah. and it's because he was trying to mark everything. Dogs also... We like to think of our dogs as people, as our kids. Oh my gosh, they're so loving. When you have two intact males, the chance mm -hmm. of a fight is quite high. We've got our own dogs where Ace and Tank are in the house. I actually had to put e-collars on both of them because it was to the point where they were constantly posturing at each other. They're constantly looking at each other and they're constantly basically trying to figure out who was going to be top dog. It's beyond annoying. Um absolutely annoying. Um, we had somebody we knew who had two intact males and um, they brought them by one time and they actually frightened me. The one tried to back me into a corner and was growling because he smelled females again. There's, It's not a naughty dog. He just smelled females. So there's all these other issues that play into it, you know, in addition to health concerns and everything else. I always tell people, if you're not going to breed your dogs, I would get them fixed. I would get my own dogs fixed if I'm, if I wasn't into dog breeding, it just is, it's good for their health. And it's also so much better dealing with an animal that is not fully functional because of the, uh, where they're out marking their territory or the females bleeding. Okay. So that is it for this part of the show. Next up, we are going to go into gun dog training week five, and then Kate will come back with a great canine tip in the last part of our show after that. We have all that and more coming up after this message. For the last 10 years, I've bought all of my vehicles from the Boucher Automotive Group in Janesville. If you want to get a great Ram truck or a great Ford truck, my son actually bought a used Chevy truck from them. They have fair prices, they have a knowledgeable, honest staff, and they really stand behind their products. You can go on their websites, frankbouchercrysler.net or gordyboucherford.com and find out the inventory they have. Again, I know everyone's saying that it's so hard to find a vehicle, We've bought three vehicles this year during a time that, quote unquote, you can't find them. They have what you need, and they're a great company to work with. Check out Boucher. They ride with you every mile. If you're a serious person about the outdoors, or you love shooting, or you just want a great hobby, or all of the above, you need to check out Mech Outdoors. From their shot shell and metallic reloading to their clay target machines, 
you will get a quality product that will give you so much more enthusiasm about your participation in the outdoors and also a great hobby that you can do with the whole family. Check out mechoutdoors.com for more. Hey, welcome back to the show. This is our training tip portion of the show where we are going to go into what I am doing with our gun dogs. So it is gun dog training week number four. So this week we have gotten the dogs. They're off the table doing the condition retrieve. We are now working with them off lead with their obedience uh, where they are basically through collar conditioning. And we are kind of putting everything together. It's kind of a neat week. I've got my son Clayton who is learning how to train dogs. So he's coming out about three times a week. Uh, the dogs are worked with well, usually five or six times a week. And I told Clayton, I'm like, this is kind of a fun week. Can you see all of the hard work now coming together? We've gone where we worked on mouth control. We've worked on our obedience. We've gotten the dogs so that they are listening and doing everything you want, which is, it's hard because it's basically all elbow grease stuff where you're working at the dogs. You're trying to keep their spirits up because it's not fun for them because they're getting corrected a lot. And you're trying to make sure you give them enough praise. But this week is the week where we start walking with them at heel with a bumper in their mouth now, not just a wooden dowel. And on Wednesday of this week, I actually took them out and I threw bumpers for them. And all but two of the dogs we have released on their name and came back and fit and, and handed uh, the bumper to me, uh, finishing the retrieve to hand. Now, we had varying degrees of success. Not all of the retrieves were perfect. And it's not something that I do every day with them. We're going to go back to where we're working for the rest of this week and a little bit of next week where we're walking at heel with a bumper and picking up off the ground on command of fetch. But it is all coming together where you can see why we are working with the dogs and doing different things. So this is the week where you're going to go from where you're holding them uh, by their collar, trying to get them to take a few steps, telling them hold, hold, hold to now what I do is I actually keep the uh, leash on them and the pinch collar on them. And I keep some upward pull on the leash just so it is similar to obedience. It's similar to them being on the table. It lets them know they can't drop their head and that they're still under control. And I will walk with them at hold, uh, at, at heel, telling them hold. And this week, all the dogs are in a position where you can start to relax it to where you don't have any upward pull on it so that they're just walking at heel uh, obediently where they're supposed to, but also holding something in their mouth. And the cool part about this is now is where we start to work on multiple things. Walking and chewing gum, I guess would be a human expression for it, where we're going to work on our obedience. We're going to have something in our mouth and work on our mouth control and do all of these together as we're out there doing our yard work. The other thing that we work on this week is we're starting to throw bumpers for the dogs in our enclosure. So in the enclosure where they normally are, and we're shooting off a 209 primer pistol. So it's starting to work with them on noise, uh, introduction, desensitization, however you want to look at it. But what I do when I'm shooting around a dog is I actually have it where the dogs are out and they are in a position where they're excited and they're distracted. They don't hear the shot go off because they're, they're basically trying to get to that bumper. They're trying to retrieve it. They're trying to 
compete with the other dogs, that it's a great thing to start working with them on it. I will then next week start to trim down the number of dogs that are out together to four and then two. And then in sub in subsequent weeks will be where we are shooting with just one dog. But again, use the fact that they are excited so that you have that shot out there. And it's it's twofold. One, they aren't going to hear the shot as much, but two, they're going to link that shot with something fun, which is retrieving. So we're going to start doing that this week. We're also going to continue working on our hold command, walking at heel on leash. And again, it's not a bad time to have your dog sit, throw a bumper 20 yards, release them, tell them fetch, get them to go on their name, however you can to get them to go, and then encourage them to come back to hand. And that is where, when they're bringing the bumper back, get down on one knee, continue telling them hold, good dog, hold, good, hold, good, and have them finish to hand. If they do drop, you're gonna sit them, you're gonna tell them fetch, you're gonna nick them with the collar and tell them fetch, and then tell them hold, good dog, have them take a couple of steps, sit them again, and then take the bumper from them. So you're basically putting them in a position where they have they are starting to understand, okay, this conditioned retrieve is something I always do. And not only when we're in a more formal setting, this is something I do whenever I retrieve something. And you're going to be using your obedience as well that you have them sitting, you're releasing them. Again, why do we release on their name? I know we haven't talked about that. We use fetch, but eventually once we have a dog where we're releasing them to go and retrieve, we release dogs on their name and not on fetch because if you have multiple dogs out at the same time, you will have all of the dogs that will take off on a fetch command. So you're going to release the dog's name. If your dog's name is Tank, it's Tank, and then he goes out. You might have to get them to go and get them excited and be like, Tank, and get them to go so that they understand this is an exciting thing they can go. But you're going to start this work now into the next few weeks where we get that dog that is polished on a hand-thrown retrieve where they're seated. We're going to throw a bumper. We're going to release them on their name and they're going to come back and finish to hand and eventually to heal where they're holding it and offering it to you. I know that's a little bit of a look forward. Again, think of what we're going to work on this week, which is mouth control where we are walking mouth control, where they are uh, not on a rigid uh, line where we're pulling up so that we can relax it a little bit and have them so that we're doing obedience at the same time. This is a fun week. This is the week where everything starts to come together and we're transitioning to the point where we're going to start getting ready to work in the field, which the reason I take dogs in when I do in Wisconsin, our ice is going to be out here in the next week. We will have some areas that have flooded water because we live in a marsh where the dogs can go into water, but not into the ponds. And then once we get two to three weeks down from now, the ponds will be warmed up enough where it's safe to have the dogs go in so that when they're in repeatedly, you don't have any health issues like uh, what they call droop tail, which is where their tail actually droops from the cold water or anything else. You can actually get them out there, get your work done, work in your concepts and have them so that they're ready at the end of three months where they're at that gun dog level. So I hope that helps you on this part of the show. Stay tuned for a really cool hunt that we talk about with Sean Wozniak of Mech Outdoors coming up after this. I 
I am going to be the first to admit that sometimes kennels are kind of unsightly in the house. My wife for years was telling me how we needed to find something that wasn't just a kennel, but a piece of furniture. She showed me DCT kennels a long time ago, and we finally got with them, and we have partnered with them as a sponsor for Sporting Dog Adventures. DCT Kennels is more than a kennel. It's a piece of furniture. It is high-quality, American-made, and something you need as a focal point in your home. For more information, check out dctkennels.com. You will not be disappointed. The Sporting Dog Adventures podcast is proudly sponsored by Trepanion, medical insurance for the life of your pet. Trepanion is trusted by over 500,000 owners and breeders, including myself. As a member of Trepanion's breeder support, I give all of my buyers a go-home offer so they can try out Trepanion coverage for their new pups. I also love that they are the only pet insurance provider that can pay your vet directly, which means you don't have to wait for reimbursements when you take your dog to a participating veterinarian. To learn more and sign up for Trepanion's breeder support program, visit trepanion.com breeder. And be sure to tell them that Sporting Dog Adventures sent you. Welcome back to the show. Kate is here again with us, and she is going to talk about her expert tip for you for the day. (laughs) It's a grooming tip. Um, It's something that I've learned that's cheap and easy to do, and in my opinion, one of the best ways to groom your water dog's coat. Labs go through shedding. It's funny because people always say that they shed only twice a year, summer and winter. (laughs) But they do go through an actual shedding period, usually twice a year, where they really blow their coat. And Kate has developed a great way to get that dead coat off of the dog all in one spot so that it's not all over your house. It's super easy and it's super cheap. I think that's one of the best parts about it. Um, There are so many expensive tools out there to groom your dog's coat. And of course, you can take them to be groomed and they use a bunch of expensive tools. And I used to do those things. Um, and I don't anymore. Um, the thing that actually works the best and and you'll laugh, but you go to the dollar store and you buy one of those packages of the really cheap combs, like the really cheap, cheesy plastic ones that come in like Like the kind I used to put in my back pocket (laughs) when I was in high school to show off in the eighties. Yes. And they have that short black comb in there. They have kind of the detangling comb. It's a whole, I always had the one with the big handle. Oh, you have the big handle. Oh yeah. You're super cool. Yeah. But they have a bunch of them. They're all, the, it's like the variety pack and it's all of a dollar. So take it, do whatever you want with the rest of the combs in the pack. But the one you're looking for is like called a rat tail comb. It has kind of a long pick like end on it. And then the comb part at the top is rather short and the bristles are very small and very, very close together. I am telling you that works to remove dead coat out of a water dog like nothing I've ever used before. I just take the dog I lay the dog down, I give him a belly rub, get him relaxed. And of course they think this is the greatest thing ever. And I just have like a plastic grocery store bag, you know? Um, and I just comb away and just comb through it. And it just rakes out the dead coat, throw it in the plastic bag, kind of reposition the dog, do their haunches, do their back, get them to flip over. It takes a little bit of doing, but it is so incredibly effective. And if it's nice out, you can even do it outside. And honestly, when they have their coat and they're blowing their coat, they actually smell too because they've got so much extra fur on them that they will just hold that water scent and everything else. You can get them so that they're in such a better position smell-wise. They look healthier. They look better. And again, you won't 
have it where it looks like it snowed six inches during certain times of the year from dog hair. Mm -hmm. And if your coat is dry, if your dog's coat's dry, this is a great way to stimulate oil production too. So in addition to getting up the dead coat and the dead skin and the dandruff, you're actually stimulating the oil production. You're getting it kind of from root to tip on each strand of their fur as well. Well, Kate, thank you so much for that tip. That is the end of our show today. I want to thank everyone for stopping by. Please listen to next week's show. Have a great week, everyone, and God bless. Sporting dog adventures, run, boy, run. Everything you need is here under the sun.